quality of our questions equals the quality of our life. Unfortunately for most people, when we get caught up in fear, it kind of cycles into more fearful questions. And the brain's just like Google. We type a certain type of question in, it's going to give us a certain type of answer. When you think of cause and effect, and when most people are thinking of being affected, they're asking, why is this happening to me? Why can't I figure this out? When will we ever get through this? And a lot of those questions lead to very debilitating answers. Whereas if we could be more on the cause side of cause and effect, asking more empowering questions like, how is this serving me? How can I grow from this? What is this teaching me? Or what am I meant to be learning from this? How is this happening for me and not to me? The more we ask those types of questions and put ourselves on the cause side of the equation, the more we empower ourselves. Mike Lonzetta is an expert at teaching people how to empower themselves to break through challenges and uncertainty in order to experience an extraordinary life. Mike explains how we create patterns of focus, meaning, and behavior, how choices we make lead to our actions and our results, and how these habits and patterns set the path for our lives and our perceptions of how we experience reality. Mike speaks from a depth of experience, having gone through highs and lows in his life and having truly learned from his adversities. His insights in this podcast can better equip anyone to tackle the challenges facing us all today. This is the inspirational coach and speaker, Mike Lonzetta. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My guest today is Mike Lonzetta. And Mike has been in the Cutco Vector business since 2001. He is a member of the company's Hall of Fame. Still sells Cutco on a very limited, very part-time basis, but focuses his energies more these days on coaching others and on a budding coaching and speaking business. Mike is known as the district office coach or the doc to a lot of Vector's rising stars. He has coached and is coaching such illustrious Vector managers as CJ Marshall and David Roy and Darren Gardner and many others doing a great job helping a lot of people to succeed. And he is building a new coaching business called Breakthrough XP, which he'll talk about briefly as we wind down this interview. But really excited to have you on the podcast today. Mike Lonzetta, welcome. Thanks, Dan. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, fantastic. We have... And we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today that is directly applicable to handling challenge, to handling uncertainty, to navigating the kind of time period that we are all experiencing right now. Mike has a lot of stuff that's really relevant to that specific topic, and that's most of what we're going to get into today. Before we hear that, though, I want all of you to be able to hear a little bit about Mike's story both in starting Cutco and before Cutco. So why don't we kick off with that, Mike? Tell us a little bit about uh, who was Mike Lanzetta before coming into Cutco? Yeah, so growing up here in Houston, Texas, I just want to say it was pretty cool hearing the interview with John Berghoff where you mentioned uh, your mantra, which you took from the Houston Rockets, which was, uh, don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. Yes. Um, That brought some great memories back for me, man. That was a, a defining moment in my childhood. I just turned 13 years old. Huge basketball fan, huge Michael Jordan fan, but Jordan was gone and now it was time for the Rockets and I was a huge Rockets fan. And that particular season, they had won the championship title before. Uh, and then that next season, they struggled. 
and they finished the regular season 18 and 18. They fell into the sixth seed. A bunch of people doubted them. And they went on to have an amazing run through the playoffs and ultimately winning the title. And uh, one of the most memorable moments of my childhood was watching Rudy Tomjanovitz on screen saying, don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. Bam. And, <laughs> yeah, and then to hear you bringing that into your, uh, into your office and, and winning the title. That's, that's yeah, man. Cool. There's so many good stories that come from sports that I feel like are relevant to life. Sports is really like a microcosm of all of life. And, uh, you know, we drew confidence from that story that particular year because we had been a championship team and then we were sort of struggling and being doubted. And, you know, <laughs> so we really drew a lot from that. So it was awesome. That's so cool. Just interesting to think about how, you know, obviously I had no idea who you were and you had no idea how I was back then, but the fact that we were living in that moment. <laughs> you know, that's right that's right and so growing up though uh, i struggled quite a bit i had bouts of depression some bouts with anxiety wasn't exactly the, the cool kid in school and uh, eventually that led to me trying to fit in and one of those ways i was trying to fit in was i got into some pretty hardcore drugs made some pretty bad decisions and ultimately uh, i also married young uh, dated a girl for three years in high school we married young she was also into some of the stuff i was into but then when I was uh, 18 years old, I uh, was delivering for Jason's Deli and got hit uh, sideswiped by an 18-wheeler off the freeway, did a bunch of 360s on the freeway, shot crossing three lanes of traffic and uh, shot into a lane facing another 18-wheeler who hit me head on wow. and crushed my car like an accordion, shot me off the freeway. Thank God I was able to walk out and be relatively okay. Went to the hospital later. They, they found bruises on my on my chest plate and some scratches from my seatbelt. I did find out several years later that I also broke my spine. I had a T11 compression fracture, but I didn't, I didn't know that until I threw my back out, lifting boxes and got an x-ray later. So, <laughs> so anyways, that was a bit of an eventful uh, a moment, an event for me. I realized there's more to life than, you know, just trying to feel good and trying to pass time by. And, and there was a purpose to life. Mm -hmm. And I relayed that to my wife at the time. And she wasn't too excited about getting out of the drugs and the lifestyle that we were in. And Neither was one of my friends. And long story short, she left me for him. And as hard as that time was for me, it, it really opened the doors for me to understand the power of forgiveness, the power of resilience. And uh, ultimately, it, uh, a couple months later, led to my, my Vector career starting. Wow, Mike. Well, you know, I really want to thank you for your authenticity in sharing what you just shared. Because that type of of experience in your youth. That's some pretty serious stuff that you just described right there. And I think that anybody listening could think about the challenges that you face, the challenges that you've experienced, and try to compare that with some of these things that uh, Mike is describing that he went through. And, and it just helps you realize that like, we all have our challenges, we all have our negative experiences, we all have our difficulties, right? But someone like Mike has been able to bounce back from you know, a life-threatening car accident and the uh, ending of a marriage at a young age, you know, being into a lot of bad habits and things like that as a young person. And coming from that place to where you are now is really an inspiring thing, I think, to me and to a lot of other people. So that's awesome. So tell us about uh, how you got started with Kako. Yeah. So literally uh, after that experience, less than uh, a couple months later, I got a letter in the mail and uh, you know, I was looking for a new job. I wasn't going to deliver subs anymore after that experience. And I wasn't finding anything, but uh, just by grace, it just kind of showed up. And I remember my friends were like, oh, you know, you're, you're probably underqualified. You know, that pay rate's too high for you. And thank God I didn't listen to them. I, I went in and I uh, got interviewed and hired on by Matt Storm. And, uh, you know, at first, I'll be honest, I didn't take it too seriously. It was more just something to get my dad off my back to get a summer job, you know, mm -hmm. graduating high school. And so my first three months only sold about three grams. But then the next three months, it, a switch flipped. And that really started because Matt Storm sat down with me. He had the, the napkin talk, as, as you might call it. And he just really showed me what he saw in me. He believed in me. And he believed I could be more than what I was showing up to. And at the time, again, I wasn't the best kid coming out of high school. It felt really good to have someone believe in me more than I believed in myself. And I took that to heart and I went after it. And so even though uh, my car engine blew up on the way to a conference and I was without a car for the next couple of months, I found a way and uh, I went on to sell 30 grand those next three months. Mm. Um, and then that was back when the Homemaker Plus 8, I believe, was 689 back in 2001, something like that. So, <laughs> so yeah, so that, that was a powerful moment for me too, to, to 
really take advantage of this opportunity and see what was in front of me. That's great. That's great. Your example of having Matt there to believe in you, that's a common thread that we'll hear in these podcasts is there was somebody there that believed in me more than I believed in myself. And, and what I think it goes to show people is that within every single one of us lies a lot more potential than we see or than we realize. Mm. And it, it doesn't have to take somebody else to be able to help someone to uh, you know flip that switch. It doesn't have to take somebody else. It can just be a decision that you make. And I know part of what we're going to talk about today is, you know, decisions you can make that can move you in a positive direction. And you were lucky to have Matt. I was lucky to have had people like that in my life as well. And uh, for those of you that have those kinds of people in your life, it's great to kind of count that blessing. So you went from selling 3K your first three months to 30K your next three months, and then you became a real stalwart sales rep in the Southwest region. And now, you know, have qualified for the company's Hall of Fame. How did you transition from, you know, that sales role into coaching district managers in the Southwest? Yeah, there's a couple key moments that really defined my path. And the first was me having my PR, Justin Ledford, come into the company. Uh, I want to say it was 2005, 2006. When I brought him in, it really stepped up my responsibility as a leader. I saw myself as having more responsibility to help him do well. And so before I even knew what coaching was, or even what mentorship was, that's what I was providing him, a ton of coaching, ton of mentorship. And he eventually went on to become the number one sales rep all time in our division, right around 2.4, 2.5 million. And for the longest time, he had the biggest year in our division of 300K. And so that's where it kind of got started was with Ledford. He's gone on to now be a, a very successful multimillionaire running many businesses, all in the millions. And then what got me into this role really was 2008, I got invited to go to a Tony Robbins event by Leanne Lambert at the time, now Leanne Storm. I didn't know who Tony was. I just knew him as Banana Hands from Shallow How. She said, it's going to be cool. We're going to walk on fire. And that sold me. I wanted to go walk on fire. It sounded great. So we did that. And the fire walk was cool, but the content was life-changing. The experience was life-changing. Most importantly, it showed me this is what I'm meant to do. Up to that point, I wanted to be a commentator for the Houston Rockets, which would have been cool. But this is where my real impact and, and legacy was going to be. And so that showed me the world. Another key part that got me involved is right around that time, I also started coaching with Hal Elrod. And I was one of Hal's first coaching clients. So that kind of introduced me to the one-on-one coaching style. And I got so much value and life-changing experience from that. And what really ultimately led to this path, though, was after those moments, I was mentoring FSMs, coaching some CSPs. One of those FSMs' name was David Roy. And David Roy became a manager. I had never ran a district office. I didn't know I would be coaching district managers, so to speak. He became one, started doing well. That caught some traction. Uh, and then ultimately, what really got me in this role was our division manager had stepped down. Lloyd Reagan, our RM, region manager, had stepped in to run our division. And there was a point where I kind of helped him uh, with the manager that was in our division. And because of that help, he wanted to get a uh, quote-unquote quick call with me that 15 minute call during a six hour call with Lloyd. And it was a very humbling experience. I got to work with him on that call, teach him some stuff even. And he's, you know, an amazing man. I looked up to since I was 18. So uh, he ended that call basically by saying, you know, Mike, I've always told managers don't pay for outside coaching. That's what they get from us for free as their division and region managers. But now they know this quality of content you have and it's hard to serve. I'd love for you to coach all our managers. So Mm. Um, I started coaching all of our district managers and branch managers in our, in our Gulf Coast division that's, that, we, that year. And we went on to uh, do some pretty remarkable things. Uh, we were the first division to not only finish top 20 in the nation without a DVM or pilot, uh, we finished number two in the nation, uh, just barely behind Drew Frank. And we were also the first division at the time to have four silver cups and one division. David Roy, that rep that became a manager, he won silver cup, Jordan Giratano. Who I helped have his first million dollar year that year, had a silver cup, and then two representatives, Frank Delgado, Jack Whitty, they had won silver cups as well, too. So from there, we uh, had the uh, proof, so to speak. We went to John Welpley, got corporate approval, and then I became the first coach in company history to have corporate approval to coach DMs. And, and then it spread from there, coaching people like Darren Gardner and others throughout the country. Wow. So this was when the Gulf Coast Division, the division manager left. There mm-hmm. is no division manager for a while. I remember this. Lloyd basically took over and kind of ran the division for a while. And so he obviously you know, needed to be able to replicate himself and have more help. And uh, you had the opportunity to step in and help guide 
district managers, even though you had never been a district manager yourself, you're guiding them with like personal concepts, you know, different keys that are some of the stuff we're going to talk about today, I'm sure. Right. And um, I remember the division coming in second in the nation that year, you, you know, with no division manager, right? So like, that's, uh, that's pretty amazing uh, that that happened. So, and the list of people who you have now coached is really a who's who of a lot of young up and coming leaders in our company. And, and who was the first that started with, uh, was it Jacob Kinemar? Yeah. Yeah. He, he's really the guy that, um, this was before he was a manager, but he was my first official paid client. Um, so he was still a rep AM under his office. And, uh, I had been giving him some free mentorship. Like I'd been done. I'd been doing a lot of throughout my career up to that point. And he finally said, look, Mike, you know, let me pay you so I can get more of these conversations. <laughs> like, like I know the more I get in these conversations, the more it's going to help me. And uh, I know that your time is valuable. Let me pay you for that time. And I was honestly a little hesitant. I was still going through coaching training under Tony Robbins, Robbins, Madonna's coaching training. And I was like, I don't know. I'm still learning. I don't even know what to charge you. And thankfully, he uh, was, was aggressive enough to really also see in me maybe what I was allowing to see myself. And he invested in me and, and I've been working with him ever since. That's phenomenal. That's awesome to hear. Now, I know people are probably wondering like, okay, so what went on in these conversations? And I've had a chance to see you in action in the past as a speaker. And, uh, and I know that there are some fundamentals that you teach people that are really important. And, you know, and you and I kind of talking about this conversation we were going to have, you know, we kind of felt like that these fundamentals are so perfect for what's going on right now. We're in the middle of a once in a lifetime challenge for most people. And the mental side of this challenge is as important as any of the nuts and bolts that, you know, people can employ to succeed in their businesses. And so that's precisely what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the three things I've heard you reference, focus, meaning, and behavior, and how the decisions we make uh, surrounding these three things can greatly affect our path and our future. And so let's uh, jump right into that. And Let's start by talking about this idea of focus and why is it important for people to learn to direct their focus? One primary reason is because it's, it's controlling a significant amount of our life. Focus has natural laws uh, and natural laws, just like gravity, they affect mm-hmm. us whether or not we ever learn about these laws. Right. And, you know, so one of those laws, for example, is what we focus on, we feel. And so, for example, you know, your feet might be touching the ground right now or the inside of your shoes. And there's a very good chance you weren't actually feeling your feet touching the ground or the inside of your shoes until our focus went there, until I brought it up. Right. Right? You feeling that right now? Yes. One of my feet is flat on the ground. The other one is kind of uh, leaning on the base of my chair. <laughs> nice. I, nice. I hadn't, hadn't thought about that, though, until, uh, <laughs> until you brought it up. Right. Right. And do you happen to have something in your hand right now? Yes. What is pencil. it you have in your hand? A pencil. Pencil. Are you holding it like you write with it? Not exactly. Okay, if you were to hold it like you write with it, can you notice how it touches each finger individually, not just your hand in general, but specifically each finger? You feel yes. That? Yes. Okay, can you feel the weight of the pencil? Yes. Can you feel the texture, the rubbery or plasticky texture? Of the Definitely. Well, where'd your feet go? <laughs> <laughs> I was not thinking about my feet right there. Yeah, yeah. So because we were focused on your hand, that's what you were feeling. That's exactly. What you were experiencing as your reality. What we focus on is what we experience as our reality. Mm. What we focus on, we feel, and what we feel, we experience as reality. And so, you know, there's, uh, there's some shifts there that, that occurred, and we can get into the shifts on kind of why I took you to where you're from your feet to your hands, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a little bit later. But there's some key points there. One of those is um, what's wrong is always available, but so is what's right. Robin's quote, what's wrong is always available, so is what's right. And uh, if we focus on what was wrong or what is wrong or what can go wrong, that's what we feel is our reality. Exactly. If we focus more on what was right, what is right, and what can go right, the more we focus on that, that becomes more of our reality. Yeah, it totally affects how you feel, right? If you're focused on something negative, like you can literally, by focusing on some negative thing, you can actually feel it inside your body. You can feel anxiety welling up in your body. If you focus on some positive thing, you can actually feel enthusiasm welling up inside your body. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 
That's profound. So how do people master this element of their mental game directing their focus? Yeah, so ultimately what's going to direct our focus more than anything is, and, and I'll cover a little bit more of this when we get into the behavior piece, but just to allude to it now, it's really going to be the questions we ask ourselves more than anything. It's also going to be the stimulus. You know, what are we reading? What are we watching? What are we listening to? Uh, what's in our environment? Who are we surrounding ourselves with? Who are the conversations we're having? What's in those conversations? Mm-hmm. Um, but really the questions, the quality of our questions equals the quality of our life. And, you know, unfortunately for most people there, when we get caught up in fear, it, it kind of cycles into more fearful questions. And the brain's just like Google. We type a certain type of question in, it's going to give a certain type of answer. And so when we ask these kind of, when you think of cause and effects, when, when most people are thinking of being affected, um, that's the questions they're kind of asking. They're asking, why is this happening to me? Why can't I figure this out? When will we ever get through this? And a lot of those questions lead to very debilitating answers. Whereas we can be more on the cause side of cause and effect, asking more empowering questions like, you know, how is this serving me? What can I be doing with this? Um, what can I be learning from this? What is, what am I meant to learn from this? Or what is this teaching me? Or how can I solve this? You know, the more we can ask those types of questions and we can put ourselves on the cause side of that equation, the more we empower ourselves. Yeah. You know, I find that this art of asking good questions of ourselves is really like a muscle that has to be built. It's not something that I think comes naturally to most people. And, and one of the things that somebody could do to be able to build that muscle, literally as simple as typing out some of these types of questions that are directing our focus and pasting them where you'll see them on a regular basis so that you're yeah. constantly reminding yourself, like, I should be thinking about this, not that, right? Yeah. I think that's yeah. a key. That's just one simple way that somebody can learn to master uh, the art of focus a whole lot better. What, what yeah. else comes to your mind on mastering the side of the mental game? Yeah. So one thing that really I think trips people up is when they catch themselves having a, a negative focus, they tend to think of themselves, or think to themselves, you know, stop thinking that. Okay, stop thinking that. And, you know, we can't not focus on something. If I would have kept saying, don't feel your feet, don't feel your feet, you would have kept feeling your feet. Right. So we had to shift the focus and we shift our focus by asking those better questions. And we got to ask them more often. Like you said, if we just ask once, you know, if I'm angry and I'm like, what am I grateful for? I'm probably gonna be like, nothing, this sucks. Right. But, but if I can ask enough times, then I can shift that focus off of whatever it is, is pulling my focus, whatever negative attention is pulling me. I eventually can ask enough times with enough strength to where it really gears my focus towards the positive and the direction that I want to move, move towards. Yeah, that was insightful what you said about you can't not focus on something. So it's not about trying to avoid having negative thoughts. It's right. about recognizing negative thoughts. It's about recognizing things that are not constructive for us and replacing those thoughts with a question that steers our focus towards a solution or towards the gift or towards the silver lining or whatever it might be, right? Exactly. We're steering our focus in a different direction as opposed to, you know, like I, I think the whole idea of like completely avoiding a negative thought is, is it, that's pie in the sky. Like uh, we're not <laughs> trying to teach people how to be some sort of positive freaks, right? right. Um, but we are teaching people how to confront challenges or negativity and replace it with something that's more constructive. And to me, that's like the only way to live. It's like, why not learn how to do that? And yet most people have a hard time with it. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that hard time is they focus on the negative, then they give it a negative meaning. I shouldn't be thinking this. What's wrong with me? I shouldn't be angry. I shouldn't be sad. And then they feel bad about that negative meaning. And then it just kind of cycles downward, spirals downward. Whereas if we can right. catch it on the front end and just have that awareness to say, oh, I'm, I'm feeling this way, I'm thinking this way, acknowledge it without judging, so to speak. Just acknowledge it. Okay, I'm feeling this way. It's probably not going to serve me long term. Okay, what is going to serve me long term? What is the gift? How is this serving me? How is this empowering me to grow and help others? Right? And so that acknowledgement allows us to, yes, feel it, experience it, but not dwell on it, also not ignore it, and really use it as a constructive power to move in the direction we want to move. Yeah. You know, you said uh, acknowledge it without judging. And I think that that's an important concept right there in and of itself is being able to confront or acknowledge things that happen for us or elements of our own personality or actions we've taken that might not be good without judging ourselves for them, without 
you know, allowing ourselves to feel bad. Even if somebody, for example, like gives you a bit of feedback, like, hey, you messed up on that. I saw that. You could do that better. Like a lot of people take that as judgment versus just taking it at face value that, hey, I was just presented with some information I can receive and use to, uh, you know, uh, create greater self-awareness or adapt my own self as I move forward. I, th I think that whole idea of not feeling judgment, that's a really key thing. So focus, focus is the first key area in which we can learn how to steer it, how to direct it, you know, how to be able to control our thoughts better uh, in order to handle challenging times like the kind of time that we're in now or a lot of the challenges that people will experience in, in their own personal lives, particularly as they're striving for, for big goals. Focus. And there's one other piece I'll just mention on this focus. And, and really, ultimately, you know, when it comes to focusing on this versus that, one of the most important ones is focusing on faith versus fear. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so fear is imagination that we let control us. Faith is imagination we're choosing to control. And, you know, just as a disclaimer for my own beliefs, you know, my faith in God to me is real. That's not imagination. But what I mean by faith is imagination is positive expectancy. You know, even the, the Hebrew definition uh, and the biblical, in the biblical definition of the book of Hebrews um, is believing in what you cannot see and, and having certainty in your hope. Right. So hope is wanting a better future. Faith is having certainty in that better future. Mm -hmm. And the more we can condition our mind to imagine that and what we focus on, we feel and also what we focus on, we move towards and we attract more of. So the more we focus on faith, it's okay to feel the fear. It's natural. It's normal. The brain's always looking for ways to protect us, but we can feel the fear and still move forward in faith. And when we focus forward on faith, oftentimes that fear will start to disappear. Yeah. I love that, that fear is an imagination that controls us, but faith right, is imagination that we control, right? That's such a good way of putting it, and uh, that distinction between fear and faith. Excellent. So, Mike, the concept of choosing empowering meaning for anything that happens to us, right? The idea of how we define meaning for the things that occur. This is one of my most important core philosophies. And for me, this goes all the way back to Tony Robbins as well. I can remember going to a Tony Robbins seminar just like you did. Um, I was 19 years old. And, um, and you know, I remember hearing Tony Robbins say, nothing in life has any meaning except the meaning we give it. And probably not long after that, I was exposed to the book Man's Search for Meaning, right, by Viktor Frankl. And, uh, and, and similarly, in that book, he talks a lot about the idea of the meaning we give to whatever is occurring in our life and how we can consciously choose that meaning. This, I know, is something that you have a lot to say about. And I'm wondering, you know, how does someone put this into practice in their daily life? I like to share a story that, for me, really hit home with this concept of meaning. And, mm -hmm. and my hope here is that when people hear this story, it, it just the meaning, so to speak, of the meaning means that much more to them. So the story is of a, a man who was a drug addict who went to Robert Liquor Store. He didn't want to hurt anyone. He just wanted money for his drugs. A customer tackled him from behind to stop the robbery. And this man who didn't want to hurt anyone, he panicked, he turned around, he killed the customer. And now this addict is now a murderer and he went to prison for life. He had two young sons and those two young sons were first met with uh, by a guy named Earl Nightingale who spoke some truth and positivity into them and helped them out. But eventually, Earl had to move on. And 30 years later, he thought to himself, I wonder what happened to those two young boys. I'm going to look them up and pay them a visit. So he visits one son on one side of the country, locked up in a federal penitentiary for armed robbery and assault with a deadly weapon. He goes and visits another son on the other side of the country, living in a beautiful home with a beautiful family, working his dream job. And he interviews both sons in person. At the end of the interview, he asks them, why do you think you turned out this way? And both sons, without knowing the response of the other, gave the same answer. They both said, well, with a father like mine, how else could I have turned out? Hmm. Wow. Uh, one was focusing on, well, look at my life experience. Look at my dad. With a father like mine, how else could I have turned out? And the meaning he gave to it was, I'm just like him. I can't be anything else. It's in my blood. It's in my DNA, man. I'm a criminal. How could I be anything else? And the other son focused on, look at my dad, how else could I have turned out? The meaning he gave it to it was, I would never let myself become like that man. I was going to do everything in my power to give everything I could to my family that he never gave us. 
And those led to very different paths in their lives, even though they had the same conditions they started with. The conditions of our life does not determine our destiny or our destination in life. It's the decisions we have that respond to these conditions that really determines our destiny. It's not the conditions that determine our destiny. It's, it's our decisions in response to these conditions that determines our destiny, especially this decision of meaning. Wow. That story is so compelling. And I think that anybody can ponder that story and think about how that applies to you, you know, particularly as you look at your own upbringing and specifically your own parents, right? I think that we can all look at things from our parents and say, well, oh, yeah, that's why I'm like this. Well, you know, I'm like my dad or I'm like my mom, right? But you can undecide that right in this moment right now. You can choose a new meaning, right? Mm -hmm. For anything that has happened to you, right? We are not Pavlov's dog. <laughs> you, know, you know, our by the genetic code are like driven to salivate when the bell gets rung, right? Like we can right. choose any response to any situation. And once you realize that, it's such an empowering thing, right? So many people, like I think about my daughter, she's six years old, right? I've told this story on a number of the podcasts, but when she comes home from school one day and I said, you know, how's it going? And she says, oh, you know, so-and-so made me mad today. You know, and she mentions one of her friends, right? And I'll say, well, what did she do? And she'll tell me what her friend did, right? And then I'll try to explain to her that, you know what? She doesn't have the power to make you mad. You get to decide if you're going to get mad or not, right? There's this song that I, I saw a kindergartner singing one day. It was called, Who's in Charge of Me? It goes, <laughs> who's in charge of me? I am, right? And I just realized, like, you know, I want to help her to get it. You know, and she's six. She probably doesn't get it too well yet, but, you know, her little brain is taking it in and she's yeah. more likely to get it better in the future. And just, just realizing that like things will happen, but then we have the opportunity to choose the meaning about what happened. Yeah. So you so eloquently shared that with that story. Tell me more about how people apply this. Like, how do you actually work through this, you know, as you're going through life day to day? Yeah. So, by the way, so cool that you, you've done that with your daughter. I, I want to be like you when I grow up you know, <laughs> one day. So here's one that's really, really helped me a lot. You know, I grew up with anxiety quite a bit. I'd get nervous quite a bit. And one profound lesson that I heard, I can illustrate with a story. There once was this girl who had the most beautiful voice in the world, but every time she'd get ready to sing in front of a public audience, she'd start to shake and turn red, and get sweaty and get butterflies in her stomach and her heart would be faster and faster and faster. And she's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm having a panic attack. I can't do it. I'm having a panic attack. And years later, Tony Robbins was on a plane sitting next to Bruce Springsteen. And at the time, Bruce Springsteen was the boss of rock and roll. Mm -hmm. Right. And Tony was like, I'm, I'm always curious by what goes through the, the minds, the hearts, the bodies of top performers before you get on stage. What happens behind the scenes? And Bruce goes, you know, it's funny. Right before I get on stage, oh man, I start to sweat pretty bad. I turn red. I start to shake. I get butterflies in my stomach. My heart starts beating faster and faster and faster. And I know I'm ready. And I rock the stage for tens of thousands of people. Uh -huh. And Tony was fascinated by that because he's like, wow, this is the same physiological responses as the girl with the panic attack. And so he looked into it. And essentially, excitement and, and nervousness and anxiety are biochemically the same. Mm -hmm. The primary difference has been the meanings we've been conditioned to give to those responses. A quote that kind of goes along with that is nervousness and anxiety are just excitement focused on a negative outcome. Mm. Excitement is just nervousness and anxiety focused on a positive outcome. Right. And the more we can channel that energy into excitement, into the direction we want to move and why we want to move in that direction, well, then we can use that energy to produce even better results faster. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I think about the idea of, of feeling fear, for example, but I think it's unrealistic, just like we were talking about earlier with like always being positive. It's unrealistic to say to somebody, oh, you'll never have any fear, right? But when they feel fear to be able to quickly acknowledge that as long as they're not doing something life-threatening, right? Right, right. To say, hey, I'm quickly, I'm getting myself into a spot where my comfort zone is going to grow, right? Mm -hmm. I'm about to have a challenge that's going to help me learn, right? Mm -hmm. I remember being taught the affirmation of fear is my friend 
many, huh. many years ago, right? And, huh. were, and or feel the fear and do it anyway, right? Like I still remember hearing those kinds of things and, and just reminding myself whenever I get into one of these situations, right? The meaning I'm giving to it is it's an opportunity. It's growth. This is why I came here. This is why I took on this job or this is why I took on this challenge was so I would actually have these experiences. It's good, not bad, right? These are all ways of us choosing much more empowering meanings for the things that come up. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's one more that I think can really segue nicely into the behavior piece as well, too. And I know this is a common theme coming up on your podcast and just really anywhere where, where leadership is being modeled. And that is the idea of focusing on what we can control and influence versus what we cannot. Right. And, you know, for most people, understandably, and also unnecessarily, they're focused on a lot of what they cannot control right now. A lot of the fears, a lot of the doom, gloom, etc. And it's okay to be aware of things we can't control. We don't want to ignore them. We don't want to pretend they're not there. But it's one thing to be aware. It's another thing to focus so much on them that we're staring at them and and filling ourselves with that negative energy about the challenges. And so something that kind of really highlights this for me is just a concept called awareness, judgment, and discernment. So awareness, especially when things we cannot control, would simply be like, oh, you know, it's it's raining, for example, right? That's the awareness. We can't control the weather. Judgment would be applying a negative meaning to that awareness. So that'd be like, oh, this is crap. I can't believe it's raining. My plans are ruined. This is so messed up. It's not supposed to rain. Right. And obviously that can so apply to the times we're in now, right? There's a pandemic, there's stay in home orders, there's quarantine, there's all these things a lot of people have no control over. And the judgment we could give to it is this is crap. This is ruining my plans. This messed things up. You know, I, I personally had some big things planned. I had easily my biggest sales month in my career lined up for March. I had the Houston rodeo and some other major shifts. I was easily going to have a 30, 40, 50 K a month. And that just was gone in an instant. I was planning on putting my first live events with Breakthrough XP on here coming into the summer, and that was gone in an instant. And it could have been very easy to judge that as this is wrong, this is messed up, it's not supposed to be this way. Right. And the problem with that is then we're fighting reality, and reality always wins. So really, what's better to do is discernment, right? And that discernment piece is just, it's raining. What's an empowering meaning I can give to this? And that could be simply something as simple as, oh, I'm going to get an umbrella or a rain jacket, or I'm going to rearrange the, the activities so that they're rain friendly. We can have some fun in the rain while doing this event, mm-hmm. right? Or whatever the case may be. And we can do the same thing with this pandemic and quarantine and everything we're in. You know, things have shifted a lot to virtual and there's been a lot of blessing, a lot of good that has come from that. Uh, the ability to impact even more people even quicker over larger spans uh, of distance. It's, it's so much good has come from this. If if we're allowing ourselves to discern and see that meaning. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Mike, the end result of learning how to direct our focus and how to choose empowering meanings is hopefully so that something good happens in our life, right? That our behaviors are improved, that our actions are improved. That, that we move more towards, you know, being who we want to be and doing the things we want to do. And so let's unpack that, this concept of behavior a little bit. And, you know, how can we train our behaviors during this kind of a time? You hit it spot on, Dan. We create patterns of focus, meaning, and behavior. We focus on something, then we give it a meaning, then that creates a behavior. That behavior then becomes habits. Those habits create a direction. And that direction leads us to a certain destination, our destiny in life. And with certain results and every moment we're consciously or unconsciously choosing what to focus on, what does it mean and our behavior and response to that meaning and our habits and patterns around focus, meaning and behavior set the paths for our lives and our perceptions for how we experience reality. And there's three parts that really form our behavior, psychology, biology, and sociology. So when I think about psychology, I think about And especially really when I think about behavior, I'm thinking, what am I doing with my behavior that's feeding my focus and feeding my meaning? And so when I talk about psychology, I think about what is it that I can control? Because again, it's about focusing more on what we can control. And the thing I can control more than anything is my state, my mental and emotional state. And we can do that by controlling three primary parts of state, our physiology, our mental focus, what we're thinking about, 
and also the language patterns. And so when I'm using more of an open and up physiology, like the Superman pose, for example, I'm going to feel better if I'm more of in a closed down physiology, even if that's just looking down at my phone for too long, I'm going to feel worse. So it's about being more mindful of our physiology. Also, when we talk about feeding our psychology, it has a lot to do with our, our language. So first, I'll mention I am statements. What follows I am follows us, like Rock Thomas says. And so the words that come after I am are either weakening or strengthening every cell in our body. And most of us are totally unaware of what we're saying, especially after words I am. So we really have to be more mindful of that. Also, when I think of language patterns, we talked about this, of course, but we think about the questions we're asking ourselves. And some questions that I've been asking during COVID, for example, are, how would my highest self respond to this? How would my highest self respond to this? Or what would my highest self do in this situation? And we can replace highest self with whatever version of self we're needing most in that moment. So it could be, how would my strongest self respond to this moment? How would my wisest, how would my most faithful, how would my most confident version of myself respond to this moment? And that puts us more of an empowered identity. Another question I picked up from Brennan Burchard, who needs me to be on my A game today? Who needs me to be a role model? Because again, that puts us an identity of serving and showing up at a higher level. So we have to be aware of whatever we're letting in our mind is feeding our mind. You know, I think of the Cherokee Indian story of the chief who was a grandfather speaking with his grandson. And he tells his grandson, there's always two wolves fighting in every person. One wolf represents that is all that is good, the love, joy, wisdom, peace, faith. The other one represents all that is bad, anger, sadness, depression, malice, violence, lust. And these wolves are always fighting in every person. And the grandson says, well, if these wolves are always fighting, how do we know which wolf will win? And the grandfather says, whichever wolf we feed, right? So what are we feeding our mind? What are we feeding our psychology, both with our physiology, our language patterns, but also just with what the stimulus is in our environment and what's around us? I'll briefly mention biology. You know, this is so important and it's, it tends to be something that goes under the radar for a lot of people. You know, I had to learn this one the hard way. There's something called the three C's of change that Brennan Burchard teaches. And the essence is for most people, they don't want to change. They just stay in their conditioning. And they keep staying in their conditioning until there's the second C, consequence. And unfortunately for me, that was the case with my physical health. I was in pretty good shape, taking pretty good care of myself, but not as much as I should have been. And because of that, I developed severe neurological issues that really knocked me out and played a toll or took a toll on me for about a year and a half. And I had to change my diet, supplement, change a whole bunch of things in my lifestyle just to get back to semi-normal. And, and so I just highly recommend that people... Take better care of themselves, drink water, eat the right foods, get sleep, exercise, see a nutritionist, really take care of yourself. Don't wait for the consequence. Instead, I recommend the third C of change, which is choice. Choose to take better care of yourself, and in this case, your biology. And when it comes to sociology, you know, I think of what's in our environment, the visual environmental reminders, what's, what's around us is constantly feeding our mind as well, too. There's something Brennan also teaches called door triggers, where if there's a certain door that you're used to walking through, whether it's at the office or whether it's at your home, you know, let that be a trigger for who you want to be when you walk through that door, how you want to show up for others when you walk through that door. There's also visual reminders of, of putting on your wall things that are going to remind you of what to do with your days. So there's something called win. What's important now that I learned from Hal Elrod. And, and so just by being aware of knowing what's most important to do right now, we're more likely going to be heading in the right direction. So if we're clear on our vision and our purpose and our values, well, then we can be more clear on the actions to take in alignment towards that vision and in alignment with our purpose and values. The last thing I'll mention is community. You know, Jim Rome famously said, we're the average of the five people we surround ourselves with the most. And this is one of the reasons I'm so grateful for Vector and Cutco is because they put me in a community of the right people. And I didn't necessarily recognize that at first in my first few months, but eventually I caught on and I realized like, this is the right people. And these people are challenging me to grow. These people are doing things that I want to be doing. And so I, I was surrounding myself with role models and examples for the life uh, that I wanted to live and the person that I wanted to be. And so this is why community is so important that we're getting around the right people. And I'm blessed to be a part of some amazing communities, you know, communities like the exchange community, faith to influence. I was a part of abundant, which was amazing. And so these are all amazing communities that I highly recommend. And I know Andrew Biggs is creating Better Than Rich, which I know is going to be an amazing community because he's an amazing man. And this is why I'm creating my own community with Breakthrough XP. 
so I can bring the right people into my tribes to grow and learn with as well. Yeah. Awesome. So to affect our behaviors, the idea of being able to regulate yourself, the idea of controlling the stimulus or stimuli that come into our heads, the idea of the language that we use, right? What follows I am follows me was what you said, like that that's so profound, right? What we're telling ourselves. And then, of course, our community, right? Who we surround ourselves with. Those were all good insights on how we can be better at making sure that our behaviors, our actions, our habits, you know, are all being established uh, in, a, in a positive direction. Good stuff, Mike, for sure. Hey, so just to uh, wrap up our interview today, where you know, the theme of the podcast is changing lives, and I would just love to hear from you about your own aspirations for doing that. And as you look into the future, you know, how do you aspire to change people's lives through your work or through your influence? Yeah, Dan, growing and serving is really what life is all about for me. My mission statement, my purpose is to grow my best and to give my best for the glory of God and the good of mankind and planet Earth. And I've been blessed to have impacted thousands of lives in and out of Vector with my coaching and, and speaking. And, uh, and I've been blessed to build a successful coaching business without any marketing, uh, with no website. Really, it's been very organic. And at the same time, I realize that I'm being called to serve even higher levels and, and help even more people. And so that's why Jacob Kinnamore and I are creating Breakthrough XP. It's going to be a mastermind, retreated-based community to provide breakthrough experiences for business leaders, sales professionals, and high performers in and out of Vector. And we'll be doing live virtual events, retreats, and coaching programs to help leaders break through their limiting beliefs, their fears, their patterns, their obstacles that are holding them back so they can more easily become more extraordinary people, achieve higher levels of success, have more meaningful relationships, live more fulfilled lives, and leave legendary legacies. All while doing it with a community of like-minded and like-hearted people supporting and learning from each other along the way. So uh, we'll be making formal announcements here in the coming weeks. I, uh, we don't have a website or, or anything like that up yet. But uh, if anyone wants to reach out or has any questions, they can contact me either via Facebook at Mike Lonzetta, M-I-K-E-L-O-N-Z-E-T-T-A, or the same on Instagram, as well as my email, MikeLonzetta at Yahoo.com. And uh, I look forward to connecting with anyone who's looking forward to up-leveling their life. Well, congratulations on that, Mike, and on everything that you've done to impact so many people. Uh, I feel like you have offered a value-packed list of ideas and information for people today. And I just really want to thank you for your time on the podcast, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Dan. Awesome. That was Mike Lonzetta, everyone, with some awesome information for everyone to take in and consider. What we focus on is what we're experiencing as our reality. Profound quote to kick off this summary for you to think about, right? If you've ever had a dream and you woke up screaming because you heard yourself scream because you were about to be eaten by a tiger or something like that, that is an example of how focus can actually affect how someone feels in a very real way. And what's important to understand is that the mind cannot tell the difference between a real experience and one that is vividly imagined in detail. And so just as a negative focus can create negative feelings in us, learning to manufacture a positive focus more of the time can manufacture positive feelings and positive emotions inside all of us. And so we learn to replace negative thoughts and negative emotions with positive ones by asking better questions that steer us to think about what are solutions to our challenges, what are silver linings to our challenges, what lessons are we learning as we experience different challenges. These are all ways of directing our focus. How about this one on meaning? It's not our conditions that determine our destiny, but our decisions in response to those conditions. So once we're experiencing different things, what are we deciding that those things mean in our life? Does it mean we can't do it? We're doomed. We're never going to be able to, to achieve what we want, right? If those are the meanings that we give, then we'll obviously move in a negative direction. Right. But being able to 
understand and realize the meanings that we've been conditioned to have in our lives and changing those meanings. It's a process. It's a muscle that gets built. Mike talked about the idea of regulating yourself through your own physiology. Tony Robbins teaches the concept that motion creates emotion. And we can actually alter how we feel simply by altering our physical body, our posture, our facial expressions. That's part of behaviors that can affect us in a positive way. The language that we use, right? Catch yourself in those moments when you make an I am statement that is not positive and learn to change those things. Of course, surrounding ourselves with the right people, community, that was key. There's a concept I've heard Mike share about something called learned helplessness, which comes from a famous American psychologist named Martin Seligman. This is what can happen to people when they don't learn how to direct focus, meaning, and behavior, when they dwell on things that are out of their control. And there are three P's of learned helplessness. They are permanent, pervasive, and personal. Permanent is when you think a challenge will never go away. It's always going to be there. Pervasive is the idea that we let a problem get so big it becomes our whole life. It has to affect every area. Personal means the problem only occurs to us that no one else understands. In reality, any challenges we are facing right now because of the current world pandemic are not permanent. This too shall pass. They are not pervasive. It's important to detach yourself from the thought that every area of your life has to be negatively affected, even if one or more areas of your life are being put into a time of struggle right now. It doesn't have to affect everything. And one of the greatest things about this particular challenge right now is that we are all facing it. It's not personal. We are all affected in some way. We all know struggle in some form here. So others around you can be leveraged for their support, their understanding, and their assistance. Everyone, there was lots of new information in this conversation today with Mike. There were plenty of great reminders that things you might have heard, but maybe are not implementing at the highest level right now. What clicked for you? What resonated the most? And how can you implement those ideas right now to tackle the current challenges that you are experiencing? I really want to encourage you to engage with us, changinglivespodcast.com. Go to the website, look for Mike Lonzetta's episode, click on it, scroll down, type in your feedback or your questions at the bottom. Let's use these concepts to better navigate the uncertain times that we are in. Choose to direct your focus in a positive direction, choose empowering meanings for everything that happens in your life, and create the behaviors and habits that will lead you in the direction of what you want. And with absolute certainty, you will eventually lead the life of your dreams. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.